Hi there, welcome to Stoke to Be Here. My name's Laura. I'm the back half of Stella Tandem, a record-breaking attempt to cycle around the world on tandem bicycle in 2022. Um, and we've started this podcast to speak to people from the worlds of endurance and cycling um, to get tips and tricks for our journey along the way. And today I'm joined with Adangi Kulkarni, who is the yeah, youngest woman to cycle around the world. At, well, she started off age 19 and finished in her, on, when she was 20, um, going the total distance around the world in 100, well, you say 159 and 160 days, uh, Vidangi, and I was going to ask you a bit more about that later. Um, but yeah, welcome to Stoke to be here. Thank you for having me. It's, yeah, it's great chatting to you. Yeah, so yeah, it's an amazing feat. And I know it's kind of, it's technically not verified by Guinness and things like that, but you've, you've obviously yeah, got a lot of information out there um, from your, your blogs and your Instagram. And it was a, a, an epic, epic trip. Um, um, we'll go into that in a bit more detail to begin with. But yeah, first, what, why, why have you put 159 slash 60 days? Is it because you felt it kind of fell in the middle there or the technicality? Yeah. <laughs> uh... Well, the truth be told, I had to give a press release in Indian press before. So I my, my 29,000 kilometers finished at Kolkata and I, the last leg was like flying from Kolkata to Australia. And then obviously there's this time difference and everything. And I really wasn't sure what was happening when I would reach. So for the press release, I said 160. So, and then when I got there, I didn't know which time zone I had finished in technically. Uh, and then like from start to finish, when I count the days, it's 159, almost 160. But then for the press release, it was 160 because I didn't want to sound like, oh yeah, I did a day quicker than what I'm saying. Like, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's why I was like, you know, a day is fine. I can, I can, I can live with that. It's fine. 160. Take oh, well, it. <laughs> it's, it's still, you know, it's an absolutely amazing <laughs> achievement, particularly. Yeah. It's just because you were, were the um, youngest women as well. So yeah, it's tremendous. Um, and I just want to know, first of all, like kind of a, a, a bit of your background, how did you get started? I mean, what, how on earth do you get on this track to be the fastest young woman around the world? Uh, I have no idea. So, <laughs> well, I do kind of a little bit. Basically, I I used to play football, and that was my thing. And the idea was that that was going to be my life. So, I I used to play for this team called Pune FC, uh, Pune Football Club, and I was going to move to the UK, get my international coaching licenses, get my degree in sports management, and then move back to India and you know start my own goalkeeper coaching academy that was going to be my life um what happened instead was that I was in this um kind of camp for like I think it was a national level football camp um and I was meant to go for this uh, bike ride across Indian Himalayas. So there's this route that goes from a place called Manali, which is at 5,000 feet, to Leh, and then to Kardumla, which is like 18,500 and something feet. And it's meant to be this highest motorable pass in the world. Um, then come back to Leh, and then go to um, 
Srinagar. And I don't even remember how long it's meant to be, 700, 800 something kilometers. Anyway, I was meant to do that with a group and then realize that I can't because I am 17 and you need to be over 18 to do stuff like that. Um, so I said to my dad, I was in this camp, I called my dad, I was like, do you think I can do this? Like, can I, can I, can I do this by myself? Because um, it seems I can't do it with a group. Um, <laughs> and um, as it turns out, like, yeah, dad was like, yeah, cool. Like, you know, I think you can do it. And so basically I came back from this camp. I figured out I wasn't gonna be selected, Never mind. Um, came back from this camp and dad and I used to, he used to be on his moped and I used to be on a bike and we used to just casually go for like 80 kilometer ride or something <laughs> and 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 he used to be like he didn't know if I could ride properly but my first proper long ride was a hundred mile ride oh wow um, <laughs> and and um the, fr the friend mentor who suggested that he made it sound like really easy he was like right all you have to do leave from your home you have to go to this hill station called Mahabaleshwar it's 148 kilometers probably a little bit more from your home um and just your parents can be in a car you can be on a bike um and you have a good bike and you'll be fine you know he just made it sound like it was not a big deal and and when someone says things like that to you you think it's not a big deal and it's just around the corner so <laughs> I'm, I'm, I got my parents in, in with that and they were driving <laughs> and I was I was riding and there's like um, a few like big climbs along the way so that was like meant to be you know the uh, what's the what's the word for it the initiation of you know oh, like can she can she climb up hills kind of thing and um, to my parents and my surprise <laughs> I, we, it was fine I was actually able to ride that all right um, what didn't work out was that I got to this place, to this hill station, and I wasn't able to pee because it burned because obviously I got saddle sores. Oh no! <laughs> That's what happens when your first big ride is a hundred miler yeah, rather than anything not, less. <laughs> just a no gradual building up. <laughs> yeah, it was quite funny. Anyway, uh, after that, I learned how to use. I d also I didn't have a padded shorts back then. You know, I didn't have a shaman, so I didn't. I didn't know that it could have been better <laughs> if I tried uh, so that was like a very funny experience which turned into ah maybe you've been able to do this maybe you maybe you can do that long ride across Indian Himalayas and um, anyway actually ended up doing that with my again my parents were in the car but this time they were like we will see you at the end of every day or you know something like that so I, because they they thought I was still 17 I'm still like basically a kid like they didn't they didn't quite trust me with being able to take care of myself and those mountain ranges like those mountains are tough the the weather you would find at the bottom of the mountain on the top it would be entirely different it would be snowing it would be that would be hailstorms out of nowhere um and me being me I, I would get cold all the time and obviously I didn't know what what riding in real mountains can be like so um, 
my parents and I made a deal. They would they would be there. They would meet me at end of every day or whatever. But I would I would get to do the ride by myself. So that was really cool. That was like a great experience in having a little bit of that, you know, having something to fall back on, but also knowing that I'm by myself on this road. I have to ride by myself for all these hours up this mountain and it's a 20 kilometer climb or whatever. And um, I have to make sure I make it, you know, make sure I ride. And also it was really cool when sometimes my parents used to like pass me like, you know, and I was like, when they see me, I should be riding. I should not be off my bike. So I had that thing in my head that I really, really wanted them to believe that I'm a good, like I can, I can ride my bike and I can look after myself. And that was quite funny, but um, there was a little bit where I didn't ride because my dad's health was really, um bad and like we needed to go to like a lower altitude um and it was only like I, at the time I made such a such a huge deal out of it I was like this is the end of the world everyone's gonna think I'm a fraud blah blah blah, blah. um and basically it was like a 40 50 kilometer section <laughs> so it wasn't that big a deal and I was just like I was just being dramatic anyway and that was fine and Come think of it, that should have been the focus of that anyway. Uh, you know, like if if my dad's ill, you, you don't get, you know, another. Dose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Probably like come <laughs> think of it. I was being in, I was being really selfish. My God. Uh, but anyway, did the did the ride? Um, I had to cut it short at Dras rather than going all the way to Srinagar. And again, that wasn't that much of a distance from Dras to Srinagar. But then there were some riots happening in Srinagar so my my dad was talking to someone from the Indian army and like obviously on that road there's tons of army trucks and they just said like even accidentally if if you get hit by something like oh that, that would be horrible oh, um I don't know what was the word they used like shot by uh, shod by something I don't know what that was but anyway it was it was quite risky apparently so didn't didn't quite go further but that was like the beginning of everything and and I came to the UK thinking I'll run my bike across Himalayas and I had turned 18 I just turned 18 five days after I turned 18 I came here uh, I did not know anyone in this country I <laughs> I did not know how to get from Heathrow to Bournemouth it was really funny um because I had this bike bag big rucksack and and a suitcase and yeah came here and I was like how how do you you know how how, how do you use public transport or how how do I get from Bournemouth station to where I'm meant to live for the year in Boscombe you know like there were there were these small things that I really didn't know about and as it would turn out those little things that I did not know would be would be what pushed me to do this other ride which was from my home in Boscombe at the time to John O'Groats um again I barely knew what I was doing. Um, this is a hundred quid bike that I have. It's still there in my living room. Um, and I had this Apodura saddlebag. Um, and I had this, my, my dad's really old backpack. So I put what I 
could in the backpack and what I could in the saddlebag. And I was like, oh, I have signed up for London Edinburgh London. So to train for it, how about I just go for this 400 kilometer ride to London and back from Bournemouth and that's roughly 400 kilometers to there and back. So, you know, that would be good practice and I can really see what I can carry with me. Um, but what happened was that, um, long story short, I got invited into this beautiful, um, like th there was this beautiful family who, who, who I ended up chatting with, staying over at. And when they asked me where I was going, I said I was going to John O'Groats um, for no reason whatsoever because I just didn't want to sound silly saying, oh yeah, I'm just going back to it. You know, <laughs> I didn't want to be that person. So I said, John O'Groats, and then they asked me for the route and I told them how I was getting there. And yeah, basically um, <laughs> um, I, I, I didn't have any sleeping gear with me, but I didn't, I also didn't have any money to pay for hotels and hostels or anything. So I was just knocking on people's doors and really depending on the kindness that I might or might not receive <laughs> and um, sleeping under bus shelters mostly. That was like my go-to. I didn't even have a down jacket at the time. So I would just, um, I barely had any layers and for more than, on, on more than one occasion, I remember being like really, really cold and thinking, this this is it <laughs> this is how I die under this bus shelter with my bike next to me and uh yeah anyway it was like when I got to John O'Groats um I I remembered like the whole journey from Boscombe to there and I was like I was reading this book called This Road I Ride by Juliana Buring on my Kindle. Yeah, yeah, and, I know it. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, obviously, she was the first woman to set that record to uh, circumnavigate the globe on bike. And when I got to John Groats, I was thinking to myself, I was like, that's really cool, isn't it? Like, can I do it? Like, what, what, what do you need to do if you want to sign up for something like that? Um, and that's where it all kind of began. It all like, spiraled oh. out of all control. Yeah, that, that <laughs> like it kind of, it, it went from that going out from that football camp and deciding to do this big ride across Himalayas to coming to the UK and riding across the country to then thinking, hey, you know what? I think I can depend on myself. Like I can rely on myself. I think I'm a responsible human. Uh, <laughs> I am a responsible just turned adult. Um, Maybe I can think bigger. And uh, yeah, that's where it kind of all <laughs> began. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. And it sounds like, I mean, it's, you know, for, it's mind blowing to think that you're 17, you're riding across the Himalayas, you're like dodging bullets. And it's, you've just had so well, much life experience. Well, didn't quite, not quite, did I? <laughs> not quite, but you've had so much life experience already. Um, and then just to, you know, have that independence to go off by, by yourself, I think, I think a lot of people miss out on that nowadays, um, particularly like in the UK, everybody's so positive. It's like you can't go out for a run by yourself. You can't go and do anything by yourself. There are boogeymen in the bushes, whereas, you know, for you to go and do it, it's, it's just, yeah, so inspiring. And I love the fact that your, your parents were so supportive and it, it feels like nobody was ever Absolutely. telling you no, nobody was telling you what you couldn't do. So therefore you just went and did it. I think, yeah. Yeah, I think that's so important. Like. I 
I think that's such a privilege that that my parents have been like that throughout my um, yeah throughout my childhood and stuff. They've always been like that, and they've always supported me with my decisions and really put in a lot of trust in me. And as a kid, I really appreciated it, and as an adult, I also really appreciate it. <laughs> it really helps me become responsible because. I feel like when someone throws a lot of doubt at you, you start doubting yourself as well. Yeah, yeah. And that's why I struggled a lot when everyone apart from my parents, well, not everyone, but you know, when, when there was like a lot of external doubt around, um, around, oh, like, is she gonna be able to do it? Like, is she gonna be able to get to the start line? And my parents were always just like yeah no you'll be fine just apply for the visas you know how to do that and you know it, it was kind of like that and that really helped <laughs> <laughs> yeah and you know it's uh, I do wonder it like how much um coming from like a different cultural background moving to a completely new country you, you must have learned like quite a bit about different you know different cultures different ways of life in different countries and I feel like that must have led you in some good stead along the way too but going around the whole world is a, is a different kettle of fish entirely. How did you even start planning? Where did you even, yeah, I mean, it was, you know, I kind of, we settled on this idea and I was like, I might buy a map of the world and <laughs> I know you've got one on your wall too, but it, and there's a little bit more to it than that, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. Um, for me, the important thing was when can I do it? Because 2018 was meant to be my placement year in university um, and for some reason I was like yeah I can do it in my placement year um, and I was within a year of when I came up with the idea so I had to like go and talk to people in the university and be like hey look what I'm doing kind of thing <laughs> um, not everyone agreed but most of the lecturers were super supportive oh, and it was incredible like a lot of credit to Bournemouth University the staff and the crew at um at their what's it called at the gym no at sport BU that's what they call it so sport BU is meant to be like the whole physical activity department sport and physical activity department and they were really cool with like just letting me use all the equipment and bear in mind I'd never had that level of support in terms of training yeah so just knowing that your university supports you with your decision is so was was like it was great yeah um they helped me with putting together a training plan they let me do strength and conditioning literally whenever I wanted like there was there was always like uh, there were always uh, these sessions happening for different groups of people um, and there was one with um, there were two a week with the cycling club or the climbing club and um, obviously I would go for those but then if I thought I needed to train more then I would just be like hey can I go for this sports scholars session or something <laughs> or another and they would just let me use the space and it would be really cool or even I did not know at the time the concept of turbo trainers or what bikes or even the uh what's what what are those bikes the the ones in gym you know they play big like proper music and you 
you kind of go with the beat mm, like yeah um spinning and bikes spin bikes <laughs> there we go spin bikes yeah, yeah. so obviously i didn't know a lot about those things so mm. it was new to me i used to use the spin bike like i used to um i tried to train with it having no clue what i was doing and i didn't want to go to the classes so what i i, I did was um i looked i, I tried to see what was the most difficult level you could put it on and then I would just try and be like oh can I do the most difficult thing that's exactly and, what I do yeah <laughs> yeah try and try and maintain the cadence and do it for like half an hour an hour like how long can I do it for and then I would figure out how long I could like do it for and then try and just increase that a little again like I could have made it easy for myself and just asked someone how to train properly you know as a as an 18 year old I was a bit of an idiot and I didn't want to take help so I was I, I don't know I can't explain that bit I was just a bit stupid anyway um but yeah that was like the first kind of part where oh, talking to people at the university and letting them know but also talking to my parents and letting them know and being like yeah, yeah. So I'm doing this thing, um, a bike ride around the world. Um, it's 29,000 kilometers, if not more. And I don't know, I want to do it in 100 days. I want to like break this record. Um, doesn't seem too bad. It's like, yeah, probably 300 kilometers a day or so. <laughs> and uh, that was that was my approach towards it. And my parents were like, my, my dad was like, um, yeah, okay. And it was pretty late in the night when I told him that. Um, woke up in the morning and dad had sent like a lot of articles about people having gone around the world, solo, unsupported, this and that. And, you know, and the Guinness World Record, um, what's it called? The website. Yeah. yeah, he sent me the website and he was like, oh, here's how, well, here's where you can apply. <laughs> uh, and, and basically he sent me all the research that I should have done. Um, and, and, and I was like, who's this Mark Beaumont person? He sounds cool. Maybe I should get in touch with him. So I did. And he was so helpful. Oh yeah, he's amazing. Oh my, he, yeah. he's incredible with it. And yeah, I, I remember going to Kendall Mountain Festival to see him and and I ended up chatting with him and Sean Conway, oh, sharing wow. views with them. And, and at the time, I didn't even real, realise how much um, of a privilege that yeah. was, I suppose. Um, but yeah, like, yeah, learning from the legends how to ride a bike around the world that was that was something else that was really That's cool, really cool. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and also like uh, there were so many people Sarah Utin was one of them she oh, invited yeah, yeah. me at her home <gasps> and no um, way. gave me so much advice on how to basically stay alive which was super helpful um, honestly Sarah is a legend yeah like, <laughs> yeah she was so open honest and vulnerable with her experiences and this was really cool like yeah I love Sarah yes. um but yeah like that was that was kind of I, I spoke to quite a few people who uh, I also spoke with Juliana 
and oh yeah I'd love to speak uh, to her actually yeah Emily Emily Chapel got me in touch with her and she was super helpful with all this as well so yeah all in all that's kind of how it all started just talking to a bunch of people who again at the time I didn't realize the privilege it was to you know have them on my whatsapp or something yeah he has about to say that's quite a a list Yeah. Yeah, yeah wow and now now I realize they are all a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but yeah, it was it was really cool. And they really helped me recognize what to expect. But then at the same time, what I realized when I started doing my own research and planning for this, that I'm gonna need a visa for every country that I enter, every single country not not just Russia every single country from start to finish and the visa logistics are a nightmare yeah I can't wait I hold an Indian passport um so I needed a visa for yeah pretty much every country so Australia my the countries I crossed were I started and finished in Australia don't ask me why once again, my 18-year-old brain at work there, <laughs> uh, you know, where I was like, oh, yeah, so I can start an Australian winter, go across in New Zealand, and then Canada in peak summer. Um, and, you know, I, I, was, I had this, you know, really wild imagination of what I was expecting out of this. Anyway, so started and finished in Australia. Um, across Australia, New Zealand, Canada, Iceland, Portugal, Spain, France, Belgium, Germany, Denmark, Sweden, Finland, Russia, uh, India, and then back to Australia. Oh, Netherlands, a little bit of Netherlands, literally very, very tiny (laughs) section. Um, But yeah, basically all of those countries except India needed a visa. Um, But that was like, a whole other story in itself because I could get the Australia, New Zealand and Canadian visa before and Russian as well. But my Schengen visa, I couldn't apply for yet because it was still valid a little bit, but they you one-year visas. They issued three-month or six-month visas. Yeah. So if I was to start and finish in Schengen region, I, I would obviously have to apply for the visa before, hmm. but then I wouldn't be able to apply for the Canadian visa just yet because you have to wait for a certain number of days before your date of entry in that country to apply for the So some for some countries it's 60 days, for some countries it's 90 days or whatever. But because of the logistics of that, I couldn't apply for the Schengen visa yet. And the only country I could actually start from then was Australia because it was e-visa for Australia and New Zealand. So you, it does kind of make sense, doesn't it? But yeah. It, it does, <laughs> but, you know, it took, it was a lot of mental mathematics to get to that yeah. point. We're like, you know, where is it pre-90 days? Or uh, what if it's more than 90 days that uh, it takes me to get there? And, you know, then even if I have a visa, it wouldn't be valid. So like, what's the point? I'm spending like 300 quid to get that visa. Yeah. Um, for Russian visa, I had to reapply because it was a lot of things happened in between Iceland and and 
Spain, which meant that yeah. <laughs> I was pretty, pretty, pretty slow. And uh, I couldn't go to Russia for the date of entry. Like I missed it by a month probably. <laughs> so um, yeah, like uh, visas was like such a, such a nightmare. In Canada, at my halfway point where I was in like 55 days. So at that point I was bang on the time to get that record yeah, yeah. and you know it was what like 9020 miles 55 days I was tired I was like just I didn't I didn't quite you know I would have thought that by that time I would get used to it but I was just I was just tired like I don't yeah. I, I, that, I, that's all I remember from that day when I got there I was like oh yeah I'm in Ottawa this is my halfway point and all I want to do is sleep which I did for like 14 hours um but it was my 20th birthday and I had to apply for my Schengen visa oh. and I was in Canada on a tourist visa and you can't be in a country on a tourist visa and apply for another country's visa oh. so I had to go from embassy to embassy um and literally be like hey, I hold British residency, Indian passport, <laughs> and I need to apply for a Schengen visa, but I don't have a strict itinerary or enough money in my bank. Can you help? It was a case of that. Um, so, yeah, that was interesting. I, I went from Austrian embassy, German embassy, French embassy, um, Finnish embassy, Italian embassy uh Spanish embassy then I went to Danish embassy and the guy just really felt and Portuguese embassy that was the one Portuguese they said so Austrian embassy called the Portuguese embassy because that was meant to be my entry point right and um and the and the guy like the guy had already called him and he was just like yeah are you the one looking for a Schengen visa and I was like yeah I have all the documentation with me which I did <laughs> and uh, it's like sorry we can't yeah. let you in you're not allowed to apply from this country blah blah and I was like Fuck it up. okay mm. um with the Danish embassy yeah. the guy felt, probably felt really bad for me he offered me a cup of tea and he looked at my passport he was like oh my god it's your birthday happy birthday thank you um <laughs> and he said that Iceland and Denmark are under his jurisdiction so he was like which visa do you want and again at the time I was still on track to get the uh, world record so I was like I can't go to Denmark yeah. because then I'll be flying to Portugal and I didn't know if that yeah. counted yeah, yeah. as going back on myself even though it, if it wasn't on bike so again I had the rules all messed up in my head. I didn't quite understand them. It, now I think about it. Yeah. Yeah. Now so I think strict. about it. I could have gone to Denmark and then flown to Portugal. Instead, I mm. went to Iceland and the weather was crap. Very, very bad. Um, yeah. They had this horrible storm. I couldn't see the cars. The cars couldn't see me. Um I was going at eight kilometers per hour for like 50, 60 oh. something kilometers. Um, and yeah, I got hit by this van, minibus, whatever it was. Um, because, I mean, fair enough, they couldn't see me probably, you know? And, and obviously Icelandic drivers mm -hmm. are just horrible anyway. Um, 
anyway, I hit my head on, and and I, it wasn't too bad. Like, I think I just got a whiplash or something, but I wasn't in a good state. Anyway, I came back and I was like, I just, I just want to go to the next country and keep riding now. Like, I, I cannot wait for the storm to be over to then start my riding because it's so unpredictable. Yeah, went to Portugal. Yeah. Flew to Portugal, like, pretty much the day after or next yeah the day after and then it was yeah Portugal Spain and stuff and then like day two in Spain and I got followed by a couple of people on a motorbike and um, they pushed me off my bike I was mugged at knife point and I was held at knife point whilst the other guy was like taking stuff from my from my bags and um, I was thrown on the side of this road and I must have been climbing something because when I fell it felt like I went down quite a way and then yeah anyway the bike was on the top of me when I woke up and um, I, I think I was unconscious for of time in between got back got back up and uh, it was probably a few hours yeah and then it was it wasn't late evening, just sun has set kind of thing anymore. It was like actually dark. Um, and yeah, um, with a few and a motel, I was able to get to the hospital, still unable to remember anything from the incident because I've had this hard knock on my head. And um, I kept asking odd questions. I was like, where am I? Like, what's my phone passcode? Well, you know, okay. just weird stuff like that. Um, but yeah, eventually realized that I had been repeating this number to them. We started with B and ended with a six. And it was actually the license plate of that of that vehicle, like the red, what's it called? Is it called license plate, registration number, number, whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. the license yeah. plate, the nice cycle, um, yeah. So apparently yeah. I was memorizing it whilst I was at knife point just because I was like, ah, <laughs> need to not do things stupid um and also i was trying to figure out if the guy who was actually taking the stuff if he looked like this bollywood actor called akshay kumar and i was really trying to like, oh, like does he look like him like you know if someone ever asked me what would i say he looked like and i was just like trying to uh i so see yeah yeah you're trying to remember the details yeah yeah but in case I was alive, like, was it worth it? Uh, probably not, but I don't know. I, ju I just was, like, trying to really think about anything else but the knife because, oh. <laughs> yeah, no, that's just not okay. I even had this little thingy over here from the knife oh. and, oh, weird, oh. bad, bad, really bad. Anyway, I somehow made the weird decision to continue writing from there. <laughs> Uh, I was like, yeah. yeah, no, I don't know where home is because my UK visa has now expired. It's no longer valid. Um, and my uh, UK residency permit is also stolen, uh, which means that, um, uh, yeah, oh, yeah, that was like a big mess as well. Um, but yeah, basically ended up continuing to ride. And my parents, I don't know. I didn't want to go to India. I don't think, had they moved to Oman yet? I don't know. But yeah, at some point my parents moved to Oman, so I don't remember if it was around that time. Um, continued riding, very slow. What was taking me four hours before 
like I would I would always aim to do 100 kilometers in four hours yeah. um, but more often than not I wouldn't be able to do that I would go at 22 kilometer per hour pace so not quite 100 kilometers probably like 88 kilometers 90 kilometers something like that um, but basically um, yeah what was taking me four hours before or around that would take me eight hours ten hours whatever you know I was like walking down hills uh, when I would ride up and I kept puking, couldn't keep food down. And I really, really, really prolonged my recovery. I couldn't balance. If someone honked, that was me done yeah. for the day. Yeah. <laughs> at the side of the road with that sound going through my head and oh, just really messing with it. Um, I would just randomly cry a lot a lot I mean I would be on call with some of my friends um and I would just cry for hours um and for no explain like for no apparent reason you know so it was it was pretty horrible um and I don't I don't have much proof of that happening either and or like I don't remember where it happened apart from the fact that oh yeah like eight kilometers from this gas station or mm. you know it was really weird like I didn't remember much um and yeah like at that very slow pace one day my friend said to me uh he lives in Finland or like well he now lives in Finland at the time he lived in the UK but he was going to be in Finland for this certain number of days and he said that um there was a possibility if I rode fast enough that I could get to see him okay and he said to me like if there's anyone who I know who can do this can pull this through then it's you and I don't know just to see my friend I had to break through that 300 kilometer barrier again that I was so scared to ride in the dark anymore. Yeah. So I had to really, really, really work. So it was by that time I had gone from like around Madrid area to across, across Spain, across the Pyrenees into France, across France into Belgium. I was in the capital um, when I was like, I had this conversation with my friend and I I have to do this to make this work. The first 300k after the concussion took me over 24 hours. But I was like, I have to do this. If I want to see Manu, I have to make this work. Um, And then I kept calling, you know, I, I was calling my friends, I was calling my family, I was just calling people, keeping on talking, you know, listening to audiobooks, just making sure that I was there in Finland by a certain day and then I had in the end I had like probably what less than 24 hours with him but I was able to see him um and he greeted me with a planet of grapes because I really love grapes um and yeah and he took me to climb for like yeah for climbing and I was like I have no energy for this but I was still like I had done 22,000 kilometers at that point and um yeah <laughs> and like to think i'd done 22 22000 kilometers i'd had a few really long days and my friend thought it was a great idea to take me climbing <laughs> <laughs> i didn't obviously i didn't climb much but it was quite funny to think that 
oh That's yeah just in the middle of this but yeah uh, and it was also going to be like I had an eight day break because I had to apply for my Russian visa um and by that time it was like November it was winter yeah. um ah, mid-November I think but it was proper like when I got to Russia it was proper snowy I went to the Arctic for a hike in between because I couldn't spend eight days in a city. So on second day when my friend had gone, I told his mom where I was going. I took a flight to Ivalo, which is like the northernmost airport there. Um, spent a few days in Inari. Inari, I don't know how to say it, Inari. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> and um, went for this um, winter hike for a few days. Wow. Came back and my bike was all set up for... With, with like cross tires so it wasn't quite winter set yeah it was just cross tires and pretty much everything else was the same I just had more winter stuff so I actually yeah had cold weather gear um but yeah had to ride from there to Ufa in winter oh wow and that was something else <laughs> Russians are really cool people I did get asked quite a lot of times for my visa and for my passport and like, you know, identity stuff. Yeah. Um, but I think that's fair because there were barely any cyclists on those main roads. So, you know, I can, I can see why they, why they wanted to keep checking. Uh, but yeah, that was, that was interesting. I got hosted by a five-star hotel in Russia. Oh, that's not bad. Um, <laughs> yeah. I called, I saw that there was a hotel called Lotte Hotel Samara um, and I called them from Moscow where I was really really struggling with the cold and everything yeah. because I didn't have a tent I was just bivvying yeah. everywhere and I didn't like yeah I didn't know uh, if I was going to be able to sustain that anymore um, and I was like I wasn't liking the small motels and stuff anymore mm. they were just not very comfortable yeah you know and I every time I would go in I would stay in for so long I would just, like not want to get out of there um called this hotel shared my location with them from like you know the find my friends thing uh, okay, um, yeah. <laughs> on apple and um yeah I got there and I was given this they greeted me with I had a proper big welcome there and they made me this cake called We Do It. Uh -huh. um, they let me use all of their fancy facilities, gave me a lot of food. It was great. Uh, I was there for probably like two days because that's just how much I needed it. Yeah. And at that point, I wasn't going to get the fastest record anyway. So why not? Yeah. Um, and then the last leg to Ufa and then I flew to Italy. And I had a lot of miles to cover in India, but I also knew that it wasn't going to be the end of the world because in my head I was like, ah, it's it's India. This is the final country before, like, this is the country I finished my 29,000 kilometers in. Yeah. It can't be too bad. Even if it was 500, it was five and a half thousand kilometers. No, it was far more than that because, oh, I don't remember it anymore. It's probably 5,000 four and a half, five thousand kilometers in India, something like that anyway. Um, but yeah, I, I was kind of like, 
can't be too bad can it like <laughs> we've done the yeah we've done the you know most part of it now and it's just the final few it's fine um but yeah I had um a good kind of the mentor the friend that I said you know the mentor yeah. was like oh yeah it's just 100 miles from it. your home yeah he he joined me for um, like the amazing. last 2000 kilometers um but yeah like he obviously because it was a self-supported ride or whatever mm. for most of it um he wasn't like directly helping me but it was so good to ride with a friendly face yeah it was so good to like because to think about it this guy had seen me like super miserable as a 17 year old <laughs> climbing that big old mountain before that and I suppose that was the last time we had ridden together so it was crazy to think that now he was seeing me in the last 2000 kilometers of the hardest and longest ride I've ever done and you know that was something special I was really good and um, and then like for the last kind of two days um I think yeah for the last like whole day I'm, I'm pretty sure my parents and him in the car were just like cheering me on Aww. and I was still like I still had all my stuff on me it was still like unsupported but they were still like they were it was good to see like that my parents were so so happy to see mm -hmm. me actually ride because yeah it was crazy like again the transition you know my parents have hadn't seen me as an adult yeah they had only seen me as a 17 year old not on a bike, but even off a bike. Yeah. And then I moved to the UK, I became a different person almost. So to come back and yeah, share those moments with them was really special. Um, but yeah, then flew to Australia and I got a puncture. <laughs> like my, I was on tubeless, I landed and there was sealant everywhere oh, on the no. bike bag. So um, gone. Uh, yeah it was crazy and I had to go to a gas station to fix that uh, but I did it quite often where you know from the Presta to Schrader mm -hmm. um, valve to, like what's it called adapter that you get yeah yeah and you can just go to any gas station yeah, and just yeah. fill it there from there <laughs> like that um, but I did that but with no sealant in there so it was got a puncture pretty pretty soon and I had to I walked into my finish line I didn't I didn't ride, <laughs> I walked. And um, so I come from this community, um, like basically I come from the state of Maharashtra originally and the community, like my mother tongue is Marathi. So there was this Marathi community in Perth who hosted a very grand welcome for my oh, finish line. Wonderful and it was good like my parents were there there was a lot of food oh. and then we went to this hotel and I slept for like 15 hours I'm pretty sure yeah, yeah. like <laughs> my parents had to check if I was dead I was like literally <laughs> I would refuse to get out of the bed yeah. uh, my god it was such a relief and it was Christmas day so I finished on Christmas Eve <laughs> in the evening then it was Christmas day and everything where I could eat or drink was closed oh yeah all, all the all the kind of facilities yeah. where I could even like if I had to go for a swim or like, and everything was closed so 
I just got drunk with my dad <laughs> in the hotel that bar. That sounds pretty just, good. <laughs> I got some free cocktails, so I I was pretty smashed. Um, then went to India and I had to wait for a month to get my UK visa again. Uh, and the only thing was I had to repeat the second term of my second year to get that visa, which I was like, yeah, fine, I'll do it. Um, and then all of my friends were there at the bus station when I got back and I was just crying. Uh, we went to this, we went to Wagamama, I think, or <laughs> uh, something like that, a noodle bar or whatever. And oh, all of them were there. And I was just like, it was like I never left. Yeah. It was beautiful. It was so cool. Just, yeah, uh. <laughs> the whole emotional experience and, and, yeah the whole emotional experience the ups and downs and coming back to familiar space but feeling so uh yeah it was something else yeah and it's just yeah I mean I I have heard your story before particularly like the horrific experience you had in Spain and things like that and I just I I just yeah getting back on your bike and completing the ride is just so immense you know I think for so many people that would have been it and the fact that you've still gone and done this this you know amazing ride and yeah it's it's just tremendous and it's so inspirational particularly because you did it at the age you were and you I know you've said since you learned a lot since then and you know you you kind of look back on yourself and think you should have done things differently but I think you know it's it's just just tremendous um and you've now actually started up your own business around adventuring haven't you it's called the adventure shed um and I think that's a really cool idea and I was just wondering what response you've had to that have you had people that have like what do people ask you have you had people going oh yeah I saw what you did and I'm really inspired and what's yeah what's been kind of the response to that um the funny thing is most expeditions that I've expeditions (laughs) and uh, either polar expeditions or long distance running kind of stuff and then um, only recently have I started hearing from people who want to do long distance bike riding uh, who get in touch about it so I think that's quite funny how (laughs) it didn't start from bike riding and then you know that's come later yeah And I launched something called Adventure Planning Blueprint, which is like this all-in-one document where you can just plan from the ideation stage to if you are in the team, team management. If you're not, then just task management. And like everything from the ideation stage to that, to, um, you know, kind of building all the tiny details from risk assessment, uh, well, risk management, uh, to um, raising funds to telling your story in an efficient way through film or book or social media. There's so many ways. And basically all of that information in one document um, uh, through this uh, software called Notion. Um, basically, I, I, I plan my entire life through that. So basically, yeah, oh, made, made this adventure planning blueprint. And, and I don't talk about it on my social media, which I should because <laughs> It was completely either word of mouth or just random people finding my website and buying it. But I haven't spoken enough about it on my social media, which I will start doing now. But I think it's um, a bit like Adventure Planning Blueprint for my own adventures. So, um, yeah, that 
has got quite a lot of response and uh, now I'll kind of pick up on that and you know start talking about it on yeah, my social yeah. media but yeah <laughs> no I think it's really cool and you've obviously you've developed so many skills already um yes not not many people at your age that have gone out and done the things you've done and you know I think it's really interesting that a lot of like Mark Beaumont, Jenny Graham, a lot of these riders were a lot later in life and yet you've you've done all this already so I just yeah I can't wait can't wait to see what you do next essentially and yeah do you do you have any plans in the pipeline or is it all of it see how it goes? Uh, I do have some plans so I was going to do um, so again, Silk Road Mountain Race, I couldn't do this year because I had some financial issues, but I really want to do Silk Road. Uh, but before that, I have this ride planned across Finland, Sweden and Norway. Wow. Um, and yeah, that's either next month or the month after. Um, and I am currently in the wait list for Edita Road Trail Invitational. Okay. Not sure if they are actually going to let me in because <laughs> apparently, yeah, the entries are full and I'm in the waitlist. So fingers crossed, whatever happens, happens. But I really want to race that. And I I have some in cold places. <laughs> so, so, yeah, that's that's one. And, um, yeah, so that, that should be fun. I obviously Silk Road and atlas mountain race as well i want actually like atlas mountain race i want to do it with a friend of mine who is like my og adventure partner like i want to do it with her yeah. uh and see how it goes um but yeah silk road i definitely want to finish and there's there's smaller within the uk adventures yeah, that i have quite a lot of um there's a running thing that i've planned uh, there's a 500 mile run of across Scottish Islands wow. well, it's a loop, <laughs> that I put together and I really want to do um I'm That's pretty not sure that I, little. It from, <laughs> I, I planned it from like 500 miles and now I've cut it down to 500 kilometers because I'm just like yeah no 500 miles for the first big run is like a bit much um and um yeah there's also like a hike across uh well you know the arctic hike that I did yeah or, when I was doing my Russian visa, I want to do a longer version of it and probably a more efficient where I don't keep slipping off and fall on my butt. Um, you know, like basically a longer version of that Arctic hike because the Arctic fascinates me. Yeah. And I want to do as many expeditions over there as possible. Um, I want to do a bike ride across Svalbard because again, as I said, the Arctic fascinates me. And I know polar bears can eat you, but I want to see them in person. I want to see them in real life. Oh, my goodness. Um, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Like, there's, there's like quite a lot of Arctic stuff that's in my head that needs to like be out there. I want to go out there and like, you know, be really cold and do those, do those things. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. There's so many plans there. So I, I cannot wait to see what you get up to in the future. It's yeah, it's really exciting. Hopefully at least half of them. Happen. <laughs> well, even if a quarter of them happen, it would still be amazing. So <laughs> that's all really, really exciting to hear. Just before we finish up, um, I will. I've got a bit of tandem trivia questions, if that's OK. They're not too bad, Ooh, I promise. OK. <laughs> so um, the first one is, have you ever ridden tandem? No, I ah, haven't. You must that, well, put that on the list. You must certainly try. Absolutely, I want to ride one. 
Um, and then if you could ride a tandem with anybody, they could be alive, dead, fictional, whatever, who would who would you put on your tandem with you? Uh, Sir Brian May from Queen. Yes. Oh, Stevie <laughs> is a massive Queen fan. So my front half, Stevie, he will be so impressed with that answer. <laughs> do, do you say you put him on the front as well or the back? Yeah, yeah. Right. On the front. Awesome. <laughs> fantastic um and then on our right we often say like we're joined by the frame like we're always together but is there anything um on your ride that you can't be without is there like a creature comfort is there a bit of kit a bit of food is there something that you always like to take with you oh there's <laughs> a lot my hairbrush yeah no that's it's weird i know but yeah no, no, I, I take it everywhere yeah. I don't like my hair. Well, I don't know if you've seen a picture of Stevie. He has got a rather massive beard. <laughs> so I think he'd stay this. He would def he's definitely going to be taking his beard brush with him. Like we might, you know, do away with some other vital piece of equipment, but um and, and take the beard <laughs> brush instead. I think that could happen. So yeah. Yeah, I get that. <laughs> Hairbrush and deodorant. Yeah. I know and I know some people like are against deodorants, but I stink. <laughs> when there's like a good smell around me I feel really fresh and I want to want to do good yeah, yeah. and I think like yeah no that's yeah that's another one <laughs> that's fair <laughs> enough and then yeah just my final question essentially is why should we ride around together on a uh, ride around the world together on a tandem and break the world record <laughs> because you're going to have a lot of fun <laughs> and you really don't want to miss out on them because yeah that's about starting and finishing at the same place and there is something special about crossing countries and time zones and you know experiencing those differences in culture even when you can't fully immerse in them it's yeah there's something about it that you don't want to miss Oh, that's that's amazing. And it's been absolutely tremendous to hear about your, your story and your adventures. And I feel like Thank I could sit so talking to you about it for hours and hours. But yeah, no, it's been absolutely fun. And so I can't wait to see what you get up to as well and, and to follow you on whatever you get up to next. <laughs> Thank you so much. And good luck. Oh. You guys are going to smash it. This is so cool. <laughs> like, I am very excited to follow your journey. And yeah, you're going to smash it. Oh, thank you.